0: My mother was one of the residential boarding school children, and she was beaten for speaking her native tongue or even talking about her heritage. And so, mom, being trained to be fearful of her heritage, didn't really speak about it or teach it that much to us because she was, it was just ingrained, fear was ingrained in her. <laughs>
1: Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. Established in 1990, November is Native American Heritage Month. So, in honor of this special month, I am highlighting a Native American voice. It's truly my pleasure to be talking to Dawn this week about her family's heritage and some of the issues the Native American community faces today. Dawn, tell me a little bit about your background and your family heritage to kind of give us some context.
0: Um, I am from the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation from Newtown, North Dakota. We are uh, Plainsman Indians. My mother was the daughter of Julia Fox and Albert Fox. My father was the son of Alva Panky and Walter Panky. Now, dad was from the South and mom, of course, was from the reservation and they met as she was waiting tables, putting herself through Penn State, who was in the Air Force. And that's how that came to be. We are direct descendants of Sacagawea, the woman who led Lewis and Clark. As a matter of fact, my great-grandmother, Hannah Levings, and my grandfather, Albert Fox, when he was an infant, they used them as the models for the statue in the Capitol, and also for the gold coin, So it's I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. We are... I, I don't know how big the reservation is. I only lived on the reservation for about two years, and that was when I was little. And then my dad being in the Air Force, we traveled a good bit until he retired. And then we retired here to Dalton, my mother worked for the Department of indian education in d c so for a short time, I had moved to washington d c to live there and go to school up there and then moved back to Dalton to finish my high school career.
1: Did you grow up immersed in and learning about your Native American culture?
0: No, not particularly. Uh, I was raised up with a sense of family being, and my mother taught us how all of my first cousins are my brothers and my sisters. And my aunties and my uncle are my if mom and dad were to pass away, they step up and they become my moms and my dad. And then that way there's never an orphan in the family. You just everyone just kind of takes in and raises if if anybody needs to help, if the parents can't raise the children or they're deceased or what have you. Uh, She did teach me about that. And, uh, you know, we had native American artifacts and stuff like that in the house, but my mother was one of the residential boarding school children and she was beaten for speaking her native tongue or even talking about her heritage. And so mom being trained to be fearful of her heritage didn't really speak about it or teach it that much to us because she was, it was just ingrained fear was ingrained in her. So it wasn't until I got older, um, probably in my twenties, that I started learning little tidbits from my sister Deb, who is my first cousin, but she's my sister, um, and she she would teach me as often as she could, because I only went home to North Dakota once every five to ten years. It's just, it's, it's a hard trip to get up there. So, I have learned some of the dances or what they're for. Um, I have learned on our holiday traditions, um... You fix a plate and you take them outside and it's an offering to your family that has went ahead of you and you offer it up to the four corners and then you throw it up in the air and it's an offering to the spirits of your family so that way they're a part of your family traditions that you continue. Little things like that is, you know, we really keep up with. Family is very important.
1: So you were taught about um, the family aspect of your culture and some of the traditions. Uh, What are some of the biggest celebrations that you guys have?
0: I know we have a Sundance and then our biggest powwow is the White Shield powwow and then of course in I believe it's New Mexico we have the Gathering of the Nations where everyone comes in from all the tribes and I believe like one one year they had a, the grand entry was almost like four hours long and I, that's just amazing to me that that many dancers would be in one location I do know that women are not allowed to wear headdresses that's, that's a big thing women are not allowed to wear headdresses unless they have Earn them, and it it's not a costume. You have to earn each feather that is on your headdress by war, valiant acts, things like that. That would that shows great honor. We uh, mainly are. My tribe is mainly fishermen and farmers. The reservation that they put us on was around Lake Sacagawea, and just planting and fishing and buffalo, of course, before they were taken away was our main food source.
1: What makes up a tribe? Is it just the location?
0: Um, It is. It's the location. And then, I know this is going to sound horrible, but uh, you have to fill out paperwork to the government and put your tribal name on, show how you are established as a tribe, prove that you are a tribe with a certain amount of members, enrolling numbers, I believe the last time I looked we have fourteen thousand, a little over fourteen thousand members in our tribe. The last time I looked, I haven't looked in a while. I think we've only got about two thousand elders left in, in our whole tribe. But it's it's just the population and where far back as I can remember, we've always been the Yidasa. Now we had we are also I'm a member of the three affiliated tribes, which is Hidatsa, Mandan, and Arikawa, and we all came together after we were almost extinct by the smallpox disease. And we were one of the tribes that they, the government actually gave blankets to that was infected with the smallpox disease, and they just about took us out. So we all joined together, and we created the three affiliated tribes.
1: Do you still celebrate any of the traditions that you've learned about, or are you doing anything special to try to preserve those traditions?
0: In the years past, I know Facebook has helped a lot, keeping in touch with family and meeting new families that I didn't know that I had, and... Staying in contact with them through Facebook Messenger and posts and whatnot has helped a lot. And the tribe actually has pages for different functions that are going on on the reservation. So that helps me keep up with things that are going on at home. I try to teach my kids as much as I can and reading books. Mark Fox, who is the chief of our tribe, actually gave me a list today of different books to read that will give me more insight on the plains indians and the north dakota indians and celebrating and the different ins and outs of our culture i do make sure that my kids give offerings each holiday for food to the spirit and we unfortunately don't have anyone down here to teach us how to do dances and to bead and which is a Big thing in my family is beating and making stark wilt. So, we're um, I don't have any family here, it's just me and my brother Melvin here in Dalton, and that's where all we've got here.
1: I'm noticing that as you talk, you're using the term Indian. Uh, is that an offensive term to use when referring to Native American people?
0: To me, it's not offensive, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that. It's that's what I was raised on. I would I prefer Native American, but having been raised with the term Indian it kinda just rolls off the tongue now. I don't find it particularly offensive. I do know a lot of family members that do. I do know that calling an Indian female a squaw is extremely offensive and a lot of people don't understand that. But it it's basically calling a female, well, just things that you don't normally say. It's, it, that's what it's equivalent to.
1: Is there anything else right off the bat that you know would is offensive?
0: Being called a prayer unit is one of them. Half-breed is offensive. I was called half-breed my whole life, and it wasn't a compliment. It's just rude.
1: <laughs> I was asking because I just, I think people say things and they don't know that they're being offensive, and so I kind of want
0: to... I agree with that.
1: Bring that out and say, you know, this is what you should not do. This is offensive.
0: And the funny thing, sometimes, like my brother and I, we're, we are part Native and part white. And I look Native American, whereas my brother does not so much look Native American. And he would, it was hard to, for him growing up, because he grew up on the reservation longer than I did. And it was harder for him. To fit in in either world because it, he was too white for the natives and he was too native for the white, So it was hard for him to find a stepping stone in either culture. I was doing an
1: episode with a biracial couple, uh, African American and white, and they were talking about their fears for their biracial child that, you know, she would not fit in with either side.
0: Um, it's a legitimate fear. Um, whenever, because my daughter, my second, my middle child, she's blonde haired and blue eyed. And my oldest daughter looks just like me. She's got dark brown hair and she's got the dark brown eyes. And my youngest son has the dark brown hair and the dark brown eyes. They're all light skinned, but they. Luckily, nobody knows really that they're Native American, especially my middle child. And so she never had to go through the things that I had to go through growing up. And the names kids can be really ruthless about.
1: What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions about Native Americans?
0: That we're all extinct. When my kids were younger, I would dress up in a Native American dress, and I would go to their elementary school and I would talk during November about Native Americans and how we lived on the land and what all we did for the elementary school students. And it always amazed me, even though they had Native American history teaching, that all the kids would ask me, well... One student asked me, "Did you ride to Buffalo into school today?" And I would blast it off, and I'd be like, "We, you know, we don't have Buffalo." Or, well, I thought all of you were extinct. I didn't even think you existed anymore. And they all thought we still live in teepees. We do not. We have homes. We have air conditioning. Now we do have sick built homes. A lot of reservations are still poor, extremely, extremely poor poverty, and they're built out of make their makeshift homes, built out of whatever spare materials that you can find, including some houses are made out of cardboard. A lot of the reservations don't have electricity or running water. A lot of reservations are like third world countries, but nobody knows about it. Nobody hears about it.
1: How do you think it got to be that way, or was it always that way?
0: It has always been that way. Native Americans have always been the the race that was expendable um, since the first settlers came across the land and found us. And we were doing just fine with our own governments and our own societies and our own way of life. But then when they came and discovered us, quote-unquote, you know, we were savages and we were horrible, unruly people that had to have a guiding hand. And they did horrible things to us in the name of God and in the name of Christ and in their Christian beliefs and would pillage villages and do horrible things to them. would send them to boarding schools and cut their hair off and put them in regular clothing and would pinch their tongues with flyers and things like that if they even spoke a term if they didn't use English. It was was horrible. It was just a horrible existence.
1: If you haven't heard about Anchor, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What present-day societal issues are Native Americans facing?
0: A lot of it is still the racism against the Native American people. Uh, A lot of those that do know, they think that we're just worthless drunk because of the tale, you know, you can't give a Native fire water and all that fact, stories of, you know, how we're just alcoholics and we're, we're worthless. We don't amount to anything. In North Dakota, I can remember a time I went, I was driving home and I was going through a town in North Dakota. And I actually was turned away from a restaurant. Now, this was about seven years ago. So it's not like this was forever ago. But I was turned away in a restaurant because I was too brown. They refused to serve me, told me and my husband to leave the restaurant, went from there to a Verizon wireless store. It was um, an affiliate of Verizon and uh, stood there and waited for over an hour while, and I hate to say it, but all these white people would come in and they would get waited on. And I was still standing there, politely waiting my turn. And then came closing time. They said, okay, we're closing. You're going to have to leave now. And I said, I've been here for over an hour waiting to be helped. And they were like, we don't help your kind.
1: And that was only seven years ago.
0: Correct. Being brown in America is, especially depending on what areas you're in, is very hard. You get profiled. You get automatically you could be driving down the road and you're going to get pulled over. I've got family that gets pulled over in North Dakota all the time because they're brown.
1: So it sounds like some of the issues that your people face is some of the same issues that my people face.
0: Absolutely. We, as far as Native Americans go, we don't look at a person because of their skin color. We have a lot of, as a matter of fact, we have a lot of African American family members that have married in or, and we have biracial Native American, African American children, we don't see skin color. We're all one people. And I I really wish that everyone could look at it like that. I've raised my kids to make sure that they don't see skin color because I know what it's like to be looked at for your skin color.
1: What is your hope for Native Americans living in America today?
0: I would like to see a better education system for them. My mother worked for the Department of Indian Education and she would travel to the different reservations and she would come home and tell me she would just cry and tell me stories about the schools how inadequate they were and they would have mold on the walls and you know the heating and air systems were not properly installed or working correctly. They had outdated books, teachers that weren't really teaching because they were teaching a bunch of Indians. I would like to see better schooling, better teaching for them, uh, more opportunities. I would love to see them come out and have more opportunities off the reservation so they can see that there's more, so they can share and teach other people about our nation. I would love to see the government help us become self-sufficient. Because since they put us on a reservation, they have taught us to live off the government. And that's a hard place to be at when you have to rely on someone else to feed you, to clothe you, to give you housing, to give you... We would go and get, they were called commodities, and they would give you boxes of um, noodles and wheat and flour and sugar and canned milk and canned peanut butter and things like that, that you would have to live off of for a month and they would give you these boxes of commodities and that's what you would live off of. But you come to depend on that. So I would love to see the native Americans become self-sufficient.
1: Do you think that that is why a lot of native Americans have stayed on the reservation?
0: I do. I really do. Um, Pride is a big one. And also wanting wanting to be there it's very hard I know our reservation is um, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere it's, it's kind of hard to get other places um, especially during the winter you've got you know snow dressed and everything else so and it's a beautiful country it's absolutely beautiful country but there's the pride of your people there's your family that that's there and you know up until currently, you really didn't know any other way. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You just you just didn't know a a, a diff, there was a different way. So now we've got Native Americans that are going into the military that are leaving the reservation to go live with other family members to get education, and then they go back to the reservation and they teach and they work with the tribal tribal to build things for the people. And that's what I want to see more of.
1: Any last thoughts or messages, things that you would want people to know about Native Americans and your culture and your heritage?
0: We're a very loving group of people. We're not alcoholics. We're not drug heads. We're not extinct. We're very proud people. We have, our culture, we have our history, we, you know, we, we were the first people here. And I would just really love for people to show a little bit more, I guess, respect towards us as a nation, not because we're better than them, but because we're equal to them.
1: Don, as I said before, it's truly an honor that you would have this conversation with me. I don't think that Native American voices are highlighted enough, so I really do appreciate you. Thank you so much.
0: Well, I appreciate the time, and I hope I did not stumble through that too bad.
1: For the mic drop moment this week, it's important to note that as most Americans sit down to celebrate Thanksgiving, many Native Americans do not. For them, Thanksgiving is a painful reminder of death disease and their people being forced out of their land. In the late 19th century, as Dawn mentioned her mom experienced, boarding schools were established that aimed to assimilate Native American children into white American culture. Tens of thousands of Native American children were forced by the government to attend these schools where they could not use their native language, names, or anything related to their culture. They were told their way of life was inferior and they were severely punished for not complying. This is the history we're not taught in school. A lot of the struggles Dawn spoke about reminded me about the struggles the black community has faced in America. The profiling, the discrimination, the racism, the unequal access to quality education and the struggle to overcome generations of poverty It seems that what they have also been seeking is to be treated as equals. Two things stood out to me as things we can learn from Native American culture. One is the importance of family and the sense of community. Everyone steps up to raise the children, so there's never an orphan. The second is their value of treating everyone the same, regardless of race or ethnicity. The one thing we all have in common Is humanity. For more information about the history of Thanksgiving and Native American boarding schools, I provided a few links to articles in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you're enjoying these amazing stories. Be sure to subscribe to the You Talk, I'll Listen podcast so you don't miss out on the stories to come. For a behind-the-scenes look and preview of what's to come, join You Talk on Facebook and Instagram. At UTalk 2020. Oh, and don't forget to rate and share if you like what you hear. Whew, that's a lot, so just pick one and go with it. Grace and blessings.